the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Several years ago, I walked into a coffee shop in Knoxville and asked for some coffee. And they said, I'm sorry, we don't have any coffee. And that's what I did too. I, I, I kind of laughed and smiled. I said, oh, that's good. That's good. And they said, no, really, our coffee machine's down. We don't have any coffee today. We could make you some espresso or, you know, one of these bottled drinks. And I was like, really? For real? Like, there's not even a backup plan. There's not even like a, you know, like a coffee maker in the back. Like, a, wow, okay. And, and it was fine. It was, I, I was good. But, but, but coffee shops serve coffee. I mean, that's what they do, right? And so in the same way, at this, at this time of year, every year, we try to remind ourselves and celebrate the idea that not to the same extent as Jesus, but in the same way as Jesus, that we are love incarnate on this planet. We represent God's love. That's who we are. That's what we do. The only question is whether we do a good job or a bad job at any given time. But we have been charged by Jesus himself in a way that only Jesus himself could do to be the light of the world, to be his representative of love on this planet. So over the course of the next several weeks, we once again are going to celebrate that. And this year, we're walking through the themes of Advent. I'm just curious, how many of you guys grew up in a home where Advent was a big deal? You had the little calendar, you lit the candles, maybe you celebrated at church. Okay, there's several of you, but not that many. How many of you guys, be honest, not really sure what I mean by the word Advent? Okay, there's some of you. How many are somewhere in between? Okay, I love the diversity. I love that that's how that works. But Advent is a pretty old tradition, um, but it, it celebrates four things. Hope and peace and joy and love and how all of that is illustrated and fulfilled in one way or another in Jesus and then will one day be completely fulfilled when he returns. So it looks back and gets hope from what has already happened and it looks forward and gets hope from what's about to happen. And so we're going to just kind of walk through that, not in a super formal way, but we're going to use that outline as, as a way to kind of explore some deep truths we already know God is wanting us to explore at this time. I just want to clarify what the Bible talks about when it's talking about hope. See, there's, there's hope like, I hope there's something good on TV tonight. I hope something like that. Just, just an obscure, like positive wish. That's not what hope means in the scripture. It's not wishful thinking. It's hopeful action. It's confident action because you trust in God. Hope in the scriptures is, is where you find the power you need, the energy you need, the strength you need, the joy you need to keep going because you trust in him. And that is what we find ultimately in Jesus Christ's first arrival and what we ultimately find in his coming arrival. But here's the hard reality. Whenever God shows up in any sense of the word, whether it was literally physically as a baby and then as a a person who grew up and did all the things Jesus did, all the different ways God has ever shown up in your life, in my life, It's wonderful, it's good, it's powerful, it's the best thing ever, but it's always disruptive. It messes everything else up. It changes 
what we had set up, what we were thinking about, what we were planning on. It always, think about Mary and Joseph, how completely disruptive that was. They lost their reputations. We look back at them as heroes now because we know the whole story, but it was decades and decades before anybody ever believed that Mary actually had a virgin birth and that Joseph actually did the right thing and the wise thing to take her on in and all of the other things that happened in that story. Their life was completely disrupted by Jesus showing up. And yet Matthew tells us that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In this case, he's literally physically in her womb. You talk about being with us. And all of this happened, everything about Jesus' story, even his death, burial, and resurrection, we just looked at again last week. All of that happened so that his spirit could live in us now. So that as we live in between the time of his ascension and his return, we can embody his love in this world. So there's joy, but we also have to remember there's always going to be disruption. Does that sound like your life? It sounds like mine. Jeremiah 29 is a wild chapter. Um, It's where Jeremiah is telling the exiles as they go to Babylon, you're going to be there 70 years. You better make the most of it. And yet he gives them a little bit of hope. He gives them something to hold on to on the other side of that 70 years with a direct message from God himself. He says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And that's you plural, by the way. All of these yous are plural in this passage. I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, he'd given them chance after chance after chance after chance. And he knew the only hope there was going to be was this crazy disruption of sending them into exile for 70 years. And yet he's still faithful and he still did keep those promises. And as you read through the scripture, you read Jeremiah and then you you look at Ezra and Nehemiah, how they rebuilt the temple. You look at centuries later, there's Jesus walking around and doing stuff and cleaning that temple. God is faithful. But in the moment, in the moment, it's sometimes hard. We're going to have to embrace the disruption. That comes with it. The hope is only there when the stuff you're waiting on isn't there yet. When the things that you're trusting God for haven't happened yet. The hope is there in the midst of the problem. And what Jesus said, we looked at this even several times the last couple weeks. Jesus said that God is more tangibly close to us. He's, his presence is more, more tangible when we're intensely aware of our need for his presence. When we know that we need each other. The Beatitudes are all about that. When he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who mourn. Those who are persecuted. Those who are pure in heart. And all of those things that he says that are hard. 
he's saying that we're blessed because we're in a moment where we can connect with God and others. We can be changed. Things are different. It's a moment of disruption, and that's where the real changes happen. And the same thing with some of the ones that aren't so negative. Like he said, blessed are the meek or the gentle, those who are strong enough to help other people, and, but they're careful about it. Blessed are the merciful, for they show others the mercy that God has given them, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who work to make peace. They're blessed because... In those disruptive situations that they find themselves in, they're working with God's own power to see God himself work and to see amazing things happen. It's a blessing even in the midst of it. See, God is with us. That's what Emmanuel means. That's that's what it means. And this morning, I'd just like to to say this as a message of hope to you. I, I try to be as inclusive as possible and to always say we. I never, ever want anybody to think that I've, I have any delusions about I've got it together and you don't. I need this message particularly as much or more than any of you do today, I'm telling you. But I'd like to use the word you right now just because I want you to know each one of you, every single one of you, God is talking to you. God is telling you this. If you feel alone this morning, I want you to know that God is with you. If you feel broken or you feel overwhelmed, or you feel anxious, or you feel confused, or you're angry, or you're grieving, or you're suffering, or you're hopeless. I want you to know that God is with you. You. And thank God he's also with me. He's with it. That's what God with us means. That's what it means. Blessed are those who are going through those things. But the pure in heart, Jesus said, are going to see God. Those who are 100% committed to him, they embrace the disruption because they trust God so much. They're the ones who are going to see God. And I don't believe that just means see him in heaven someday. I think it means they're going to see him in the midst of the storm. They're going to see him in other people. They're going to see him in the people that they serve. They're going to see in the people who serve him. They're going to see him doing stuff in the midst of all of it. They're going to see God. So the second thing we have to do, all of us, all of us have to do to really get God's hope, to experience God's hope, to hold on to it in a way that shapes our lives and changes the world is we also embrace the disrupted. There's always going to be seasons where somebody else feels more disrupted than we do. And that's where God calls us to be part of the story. That's where we work together to help each other. That's where we reach out. And, and Jesus said himself, we looked at this just a couple weeks ago too. Jesus said that when we reach out to the least of these, and by the way, the least of these doesn't mean they're less valuable. It means they're least able to help themselves. The least doesn't mean that somehow there's, God likes these people more and these people less. That's not what he's talking about. These are more valuable. These are less, that's not what he means. But the people who literally have no clothes to wear, no food to eat, nothing to drink, they have, they're in prison, they're sick. For whatever other reason, they don't have hope at that moment. They don't have a way to get help. Jesus calls them the least of these That's what he means. And he said, when we serve them, we're serving him. He counts it as if we are actually serving him. 
One of Jesus' most famous stories is the Good Samaritan, and it perfectly illustrates how this works. The, the Samaritan was not good just because he had good feelings or, or because he was from Samaria or any other reason. He just entered that other guy's story. That guy was helpless. He was literally beat up on death's door, naked. He had nothing at all and no way to help himself. And that's when the Samaritan in Jesus' story entered the other guy's story and gave him all the things that he did not have so that he could have hope. And when we embrace the disrupted, we experience God's presence. We experience him working through us, working in us, working in that other person that we, in ways that we could never have made happen on our own. Paul makes it really clear in Romans when he says, we, are, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Got this book called Every Moment Holy by Douglas Kane McElby. I really like this. And uh, I hope this, this thing means as much to you as it does to me. I got so much out of this. This perfectly illustrates this prayer. He, what, what these are, little prayers you pray at random times of life. It, it, every Moment Holy, he says this, in the most unexpected times, every part of our life actually is a moment where we can connect with God, where we can find hope, we can find meaning. This is called a liturgy for changing diapers, number one. (laughs) Heavenly Father, in such menial moments as this, the changing of a diaper, I would remember this truth. My unseen labors are not lost. For it is these repeated acts of small sacrifice that, like bright, ragged patches, are slowly being sewn into a quilt of loving kindness that swaddles this child. I am not just changing a diaper. By love and service, I am tending a budding heart that rooted early in such grace-filled devotions might one day be more readily inclined to bow to your compassionate conviction, knowing itself then as both a receptacle and a reservoir of heavenly grace. And so this little act of diapering, though in form sometimes felt as base drudgery, might be better described as one of 10,000 acts by which I am actively creating a culture of compassionate service and selfless love to shape the life of this family and this beloved child. So take this unremarkable act of necessary service, O Christ. And in your economy, let it be multiplied into that greater outworking of worship and of faith, a true investment in the incremental advance of your kingdom across generations. Open my eyes that I might see this act for which, for what it is from the fixed vantage of eternity, O Lord how the changing of a diaper might sit upstream from the changing of a heart and how the changing of a heart might sit upstream of the changing of the world. Amen.
I don't think it was an accident that when Jesus gave us the Beatitudes that he didn't just say, blessed are these people because God will. He he said they will. And I think that's significant because yes, it's gonna be God who comforts people. It's gonna be God who creates peace. But he's inviting us into that story. He's not just saying God's gonna do it all. There's going to be people who comfort those who need comforted. There's going to be people who help make peace where there needs to be peace. There's going to be God's people who satisfy other people's longing for righteousness that show mercy. But that only happens when we all collectively trust God. We find that hope, that ability to embrace disruption, that ability to embrace the disrupted by our trust in God. We can only hope and we can only share hope because of that, because we trust him and we found him to be trustworthy. Brothers and sisters, let me just tell you, I, I, I know this is not a surprise to you either. It's not some limitless wisdom on my part, but I just want you to know I, I experience this too. His specific will rarely makes sense. In the moments, day to day, that we need hope, exactly what's happening at any given time usually doesn't make sense. If it doesn't make sense right now, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with God. There's nothing wrong with not knowing all the answers, guess what? That's life. That's how it is. That's how, that's how it felt in all of these Bible stories. That's how it feels when you're gagging and retching trying to change a diaper. It's not, it's not always supposed to be cool. It's not always supposed to be a mountaintop experience. We have this clarity. Most of it is the walk up and the walk down and just living a different kind of life because you experienced it. Does that sound familiar to anybody, I hope? We're not gonna say that every time from now on. I'm just saying it's that same concept. We're continuing this as we go. Peter says, therefore, in light of all these things, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a kind of holy, um, kind of holy recklessness that can happen when you have hope, when you really trust somebody, when you really trust God, especially. There's a way that you can just live. Just let it happen. It actually reminds me in a strange way. This may not connect with everybody, but hopefully it will. Han Solo in Star Wars. Yeah. See, Han Solo was always, he, he, he knew, he didn't know what was going on. Most of the time he was really confused. He had four or five different agendas happening, but he really knew that he and Chewie knew what they were doing and he really loved his ship and really trusted it. And so he kept saying this over and over, never tell me the odds. Because who cares about the odds? That's not what's going to determine the outcome. There's something more going on. 
Maybe that doesn't make as much sense to you as it does to me, but that's how it is for us Christians at the same time. When we're in a situation where everybody's going, there's no way this can turn out well. There's no way that a good God would let this happen. There's no way that you can still have that kind of faith you've got in this moment. There's no way that that makes any kind of sense that if you've been working that hard for God, that this is what you're going through. In all those moments, that's where we can say, never tell me the odds. There's something bigger going on and I don't have to understand it. I don't have to get it. I just have to trust and I have to keep going. Romans 8, Paul writes, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I love that comparison because anybody's ever been through childbirth, whether it was you having the baby or you with that person or just knowing it was happening, but you loved that person, cared about them. There's literally just unimaginable pain and stress and fear and all kinds of stuff. But at the same time, some of the most profound joy and fulfillment and hope. And it's all just mashed together all at once. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what all creation is experiencing in this space that we live in between the ascension of Jesus and his coming return. And that's why the world needs us so badly to be love incarnate, why we have to share that hope. All the way back in the Psalms, the psalmist wrote this, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. One thing that I would really love for you to pray for me about, that I'm praying for each one of you about, is that we lock down even harder than we ever have on the things that do keep us grounded. Things like this that we're doing together right now, things like what we're doing here. Your time alone with God, your time in small groups with others who are trying to follow God, your time with your families as you try to follow God. We've got to lock into the things that keep us grounded and reminded of what is true because life is disruptive. Hide God's word in your heart. Otherwise, we, we're all doomed to wander off. I'd like to read several verses here from Romans 5. This is just a wonderful, wonderful, almost worshipful passage where Paul is talking about we have hope because we know what God has already done. Imagine what he's going to do next. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You're seeing this? We, we, we trust God for the future because of what's happened in the past. It gets even more intense. He says, for while we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, 
Though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have now received reconciliation. I'm trusting that most of us here all believe that. We hold on to that. But I'm also quite confident that just like it is for me, it's hard for all of us sometimes. Isaiah spoke to Israel in a moment like this where they were saying, hey, where is God? What's going on? Just like we do sometimes. And he says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable and he gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It was only recently that I I learned, I don't know where I've been all these years, I've even taught English some. But the word soar doesn't just mean fly, it's not just a synonym for fly, it's a specific kind of flying. It's the kind of flying that eagles do. Like the opposite of soaring would be like a hummingbird where it's just like flapping, all the power comes from its little wings, just go, 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 go. But the eagles, they, they fly by catching air currents. That's why when you watch an eagle, it's really rare for you to ever see him flap. Every once in a while it happens, but it's usually just to kind of edge over into another current. They just kind of adjust a little bit. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because what they have found is that they fly on the rising air currents. They just need to know where they are. They need to trust them. They don't have to flap. In fact, flapping messes up the whole thing. They trust And so they soar. They get better than a mountaintop view. They look down on the top of the mountain because they know where the currents are and they trust them enough to jump and ride them. That's what we experience when we trust God. It's not that we don't experience disruption. We do. But we find power that comes only from him when we embrace that disruption, when we embrace those who are even more disrupted than we are at that moment, that's when we see real change. So one more time, as we come to one more time of decision, I'm challenging you to make a step in Christ's direction, whatever that means for you this morning. One more time. We all need to embrace the disruption We need to find those things that keep us rooted in our relationship with God and with others so that we can endure. We need to dig down even deeper and we need to just 
be aware that sometimes it just feels crazy. But we also need to consciously, on purpose, embrace the disrupted. We need to realize and remember that we are absolutely serving Jesus himself when we're comforting somebody, when we're helping somebody through a hard time, when we are encouraging somebody, when we're rebuking somebody in a loving way, when we are helping them in any way, we are reaching out to them. We're reaching out to Jesus himself. And the only way we can do this in a real way, a life-changing way, is because we really trust God. So I'm inviting you this morning to soar with me. And you don't have to do this. If this feels really cheesy and stupid to you, you can laugh at me and not do it. But if, you, if, you, if you're bold, would you just put out your arms like that? And just know that God's power is what can carry you. It's God that's going to lift you up. It's not you. It's not me. It's not our ability to flap and keep flapping. It's our ability to know where the wind currents that can carry us are. And keep going there. And keep staying there. And keep readjusting. However you need to go there or readjust this morning, would you do that as we stand and as we sing?